You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hello again, this is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology, welcoming you to the October 2021 edition of Editor's Picks. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. This month, we will begin with an overview of the paper entitled Current Smoking Negatively Affects the Response to Methotrexate in Rheumatoid Arthritis in a Dose-Responsive Way Independently of Concomitant Prednisone Use. Could you please summarize the findings of your study? Yes, definitely. Uh, in this cohort, current smoking was associated significantly associated with a higher DAS-28 compared to non-smoking with a mean difference of 0.6 uh, in, uh, to non-smokers. This negative effect was, statistically significant, was not statistically significantly different uh, between the strategy group initiating MTX and placebo uh, prednisone and the group initiating MTX and um, 10 milligrams of prednisone. The negative effect of current smoking on DAS-28 was dose-dependent, um, and our conclusion is that current smoking in, in early RA patients significantly reduces the clinical effects uh, of these MTX-based strategies, independently uh, whether or not concomitant prednisone is used. I hope you enjoyed listening to the overview of the paper by doctors. Safi Khan, Walsing, and Jacobs, and that you will listen to the complete interview that I have with them on our website, and that you will read the full-length article as well as the accompanying editorial entitled Smoking and Methotrexate Inefficacy in Rheumatoid Arthritis. What about Underlying Molecular Mechanisms by Dr. Janssen, DeRote, and DeYoung. Both the article and the editorial are available at our website, which is www.jroom.org. I will now move along to the next paper to highlight this month, which is entitled Comparison of Men and Women with Axial Spondylar Arthritis in the U.S.-based Coronasoriatic Arthritis Spondyloarthritis Registry. It is by Mies and colleagues. And again, there's an accompanying editorial. This one is by Dr. Yingying Liang, which is entitled Gender Differences in Disease Activity and Impact in Axial Spondylitis. As it is unclear so in the literature if there are any differences in the clinical characteristics and outcomes between men and women with axial spondyloarthritis or AXSPA, and therefore, the aim of this paper was to explore this question. A total of 498 patients, 18 years or older, with AXSPA, without psoriatic arthritis, who, who enrolled in the Corona Psoriatic Arthritis Spondyloarthritis Registry, over a five-year period were studied. 61.6% were male and 38.4% were female. As compared with men, 
women had a higher disease activity as measured by the bath ankylosing spondylitis disease activity index, the bath spondyl ankylosing spondylitis functional index, and physician global assessment. Women also had a higher tender swollen joint count and enthesitis score. Patient reported symptoms were also worse in females. There was greater work and activity impairment and women were less likely to work full-time than men. The authors found that women were more likely to have a diagnosis of depression and or fibromyalgia. Please read this paper and the accompanying editorial by Dr. Liang to better understand the implications of the finding of this paper for the care of patients with axial spondyloarthritis without psoriatic arthritis. The next paper to highlight is entitled Impaired Myocardial Flow Reserve on 82 Rubidium Positron Emission Tomography, Computed Tomography in Patients with Systemic Sclerosis and is by Ferrer and colleagues. It is known that Reynolds phenomena may be the result of abnormal microvascular control, and therefore the investigators examined the association of Reynolds and coronary microvascular dysfunction as measured by myocardial flow reserve using positron emission tomography, computer tomography, or PET-CT in patients with primary and secondary Raynaud's as well as controls. The cohorts consisted of 11 patients with primary Raynaud's, 39 patients with secondary Raynaud's, of which 18 had systemic sclerosis, six each with SLE and rheumatoid arthritis, four with an overlap syndrome, and two each with Sjogren's syndrome and inflammatory arthritis. The controls consisted of 49 match patients without Raynaud's or an autoimmune disease, as well as 14 healthy participants. The investigators found that patients with primary Raynaud's had comparable myocardial flow reserve to both patient controls and healthy participants. In contrast, the patients with secondary Raynaud's had significantly reduced myocardial flow reserve compared to both patient and healthy controls. In multivariable logistic regression, it was found that systemic sclerosis was an independent predictor of reduced myocardial flow reserve. Please read this paper for further detail on this interesting technique for measuring myocardial flow reserve, what other associations were found with reduced myocardial flow reserve, and the limitations of this relatively small but important study. I now switch to metabolic syndrome and osteoarthritis by highlighting a paper entitled Metabolic Syndrome and Osteoarthritis Distribution in the Hand Joints, 
a propensity score matching analysis from the osteoarthritis initiative and is by Mohire and colleagues. As may be guessed by the title, the aim of this study was to examine the association of metabolic syndrome with radiographic and symptomatic hand away. The investigators used the Osteoarthritis Initial Initiative database, a database which has been established to study NEOA, and they found look for patients who had a baseline hand x-ray. They then used a propensity score matched cohort of 89 participants with metabolic syndrome as compared to 1,613 participants without metabolic syndrome. They found that metabolic syndrome was associated with a higher odds of having radiographic OA including the number of joints with OA, and that the incidence of hand pain during follow-up was higher in the participants who had metabolic syndrome. In this article, the authors detail which specific joints were more common in participants with metabolic syndrome and which OA phenotype was more commonly seen in patients with metabolic syndrome as those without it. Authors also discuss the implication of these findings to the care of all patients with OA. The last article I wish to highlight this month is entitled Impact of COVID-19 Pandemic on Rheumatology Practice in Latin America by Fernandez Avia colleagues and is accompanied by an editorial entitled Pandemic and Rheumatology, Impact on Providing Care in Latin America and Around the World, and is by Sebastian Situi and Philip Robinson. In the, in the paper, the author surveyed 1,097 rheumatologists from 19 Latin American countries, which included 49 pediatric rheumatologists. Study was performed over a two-month period in 2020. Many of the rheumatologists worked both in institutional outpatient centers and delivered inpatient care. The mean number of weekly hours of in-person practice before the pandemic was 27 which was then reduced to 10 during the pandemic. Telehealth was used by 78.9% of the rheumatologists during the pandemic. The authors found that there was a reduction in monthly wages in 86.2% of the respondents with a median reduction of 50%. A 88 or 8% of rheumatologists stated they lost their jobs during the pandemic. When the investigators asked about attitudes of the infection, the respondents had a 
50 perceived 50% risk of being infected and they perceived their family also had a 50% risk. Please read the article to get further details of how the care was delivered and determine how these findings may apply to your practice and your personal notions of how the pandemic has affected rheumatology practice. Also read the editorial by Satui and Robinson, who examine the issues raised by this article and give a perspective from both the USA and Australia. This month, the image in rheumatology is entitled A Case of Disseminated Cutaneous Mycobacterium Kelonai Infection During Treatment with Tofacitamin. The, the image describes a 55-year-old man with seronegative RA who developed a tender nodular erythematous rash secondary to mycobacterium colonii infection two weeks after beginning tofacitinib. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and encourage you to read not only my highlighted articles, but all the articles in the October 2021 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology, either in the print edition or the online edition which is available at www.jroom.org. And please watch my interviews with the senior author of one paper a month and of selected COVID-19 articles, which are available for viewing on our website and YouTube. All COVID-19 articles are provided free at our website. If you have any questions or comments on these highlighted articles, or in fact, any article in the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com or to myself at esilverman at jroom.com. Please listen next month to the November edition of Editor's Highlights, and please stay healthy. 